Welcome back, everybody, to Crime Scene Queens, where we are the show that you want to listen to if you want to hear from real experts in the field. Us experts that have a true understanding of the confidentiality and respect for the deceased and their families, and we're absolutely not going to exploit the victims. On that note, we have some really fun stuff today, but in the meantime, guess who I am? I'm Shelly. I am your courtroom cat. I am Laura, your friendly neighborhood crime scene investigator and field mouse. And today, not only do we have a courtroom cat and a field mouse, but pardon the expression, Antoinette, but we have a lab rat, but in this yes. a cute kind. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. For those of you who don't know, Antoinette T. Campbell is the founder of the Association of Women in Forensic Science. And feel free to stop me if I say anything incorrectly or do you injustice, but she is a forensic chemist and she lives in Philadelphia and she she has one of my favorite social media accounts, which is Women in Forensics. Oh, and through you. that program, she provides youth outreach in the school system in Philadelphia. Oh, you got your degree in chemistry from Temple University, correct? Yes. And I used to work for the uh, Philadelphia Police Department, but I'm not there anymore. So I hey, was listen. a chemist there for a while. <laughs> We all go through that ebb and flow, I think, at some point. <laughs> yes. You, know, you have coached over a thousand students, both youth and women, well, through your programs. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like, I kind of want to know a little bit first, and then I want to Quentin Tarantino and go back and learn, like, the origin story, because I feel like that's always what gets people hooked, is that awesome origin story. <laughs> yeah, so I started Association of Women in Forensic Science back in 2010, Mm -hmm. I started it because while I was working as a chemist with the police department, I would come across so many people who wanted to get into the field. Of course, yeah. they were so fascinated with forensic science. And I didn't have any community or any like type of a support group or programs yeah. that I could go to or something that they were looking to join. So I started my own. And that's how Association of Women in Forensic Science came about. And then I started the after school program. Club Philly Forensics, maybe about a year after. So I was doing after school forensic science programs. I reached out to a few of my friends who were working in forensic science with me. We all were working in the same forensic lab, but in different units. And they would come and help me and we would teach them about different aspects of forensics, doing hands-on activities. So it was real cool. So that's how I got started. And I started doing networking events during happy hour. Nice. All the way up until COVID, yes, I yes. would do these happy hour networking events to get women together from Philly. And then women would come down from like Jersey and Delaware. And it was fun. So I wanted to create this community for people who were not science majors or who were not forensic science professionals to come and learn about forensic science and meet other women who worked in forensics. So that's how I got started. I actually want to cut in here and I just want to say that first of all, like mad props, Club Philly Forensics. Like I just, <laughs> it's such, it's got such a hook. The name is just so super rad. I absolutely love it. Oh, and thank that's, you so much. that's like what, 13 years ago you started this? Yeah. When I started, Instagram wasn't even discovered that, yet. No, it it no. just was Facebook. So I created a Facebook group, which I still have. And then I had a Twitter after because I believe it was uh, Twitter before yeah. Instagram. So yep. I'm still on all of these platforms. So I was just using Facebook mostly before Twitter came around to organize these events. 
And then when I was doing all of this stuff, there weren't any other women in forensics doing mm. outreach. But I had a blog called Women in Forensics. So I started reaching out to women forensic science professionals to be profiled in my blog. So it, it just was very that. interesting. Yeah. So <laughs> like we talked about Darren a couple, you know, in an episode before. And I feel like Club Philly Forensics is almost like an amazing recreation or spinoff of D.A.R.E. because you have a forensic science drug and violence education program. And it's for use, although D.A.R.E., I took it when I was younger than 12, but yours is about <laughs> the basis of like 12 to 18. But I yes. just love that you incorporate the forensic science and yeah. then the drug and violence education. And I think that's yes. so crucial and so important. And I love Philly. I've actually been out there and I've taught before. And my brother lives in right outside of Pittsburgh. I love the area. You know, I feel like it's just getting even better. And I, I want to say, you know, mad props to the club. Philly Shelly's forensics. a fan. Thank I'm a so super fan. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. I definitely wanted to incorporate the drug and violence education portion yeah. of it because most of the time when I would see shows or just anything that dealt with forensics, they never talked about the different types of crime and how all that is connected to forensic science. So because I was working in the drug unit as a chemist, yeah. I wanted to let them know, like, OK, you can go to school for you know forensic science. There are so many different disciplines, but. This is what we really see when you work as a drug chemist is these drugs. They're out here in the streets. I want to educate you about that and also forensic science, too. So in yoga, we call that our karma project. I know that this is not a yoga based show, but like the whole time that I was in my crime scene unit, I was actually a big sister for the Big Brother Big Sister program. Awesome. And then ultimately, when I moved on from that, I started to teach yoga for a program called the Body and Soul Youth Development Center for kids, you know, that have things that make their life a challenge in one way or the other. And maybe they just need a little bit of extra support and help. But to have something forensically oriented obviously warms my heart because I love the teens. I have a connection to them. They're just the director of that youth development center always says that they're kind of the lost people because everybody focuses on little kids or the development of adults with mental health. But we forget about this liminal phase of youth. And it's such an important time where everybody's going through a lot, whether it's self-inflicted or not. Yes. Yes. And, yes. Or not. <laughs> or not. Yes. yes. <laughs> Depending on your perspective. Pardon my uh -huh. eye roll while I said that. I think you can pick up what I'm putting down. I, I can. <laughs> yes. It's funny, Antoinette, because I was thinking about how I first came across you. And I had read a couple of articles that you had written for Forensics Magazine a few years ago because there was like a cute little headshot of you so when thank I found you your, yeah you're you're super pretty so oh, then thank you so much. You are too. <laughs> uplifting thank you so we, I know right I, yes I know women here we go women's history Month. not that we don't love you guys but this is not pretty about you today pretty women <laughs> yes. yeah this is not yes. about you today all right it's about us so then when I saw your Instagram come across I'm like I know her and I had remember reading an article that you wrote about African-American women's hair in <gasps> professionalism yes. and how they are told that their hair is unprofessional. You and talked about this before in a different I did. episode. I did. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. So there's yes. a couple of different reasons why I remembered that article. 
if you have caught in this show, I worked for two PDs. One, I was basically the token white girl. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I didn't know a lot of cultural things out of complete lack of experience and naivete. And so two things happened to me at that police department that made me aware of like hair being a thing. And the first one was I was on a crime scene where some guy had a side girl and she left him for a real relationship and he ultimately ended up taking his own life despite the fact that he had another woman that he had a child with at home. And one of the officers said something to me about the side chick's hair. And I'm like, Uh what about her hair? And he's Uh like, well, it's different. It's like, he said something like straighter. And Uh I'm like, who fucking cares that her hair is straighter? A lot of people. He was like, oh, well, that's what he said. So for somebody to tell me that my Uh hair was like desirable, like blew my mind. And then somebody asked me, there was a new police officer and they said something about in her training that her hair was unprofessional. And so when I looked at her, I'm like, why is her hair unprofessional? And it ties into some of the things that you were saying in your mm-hmm. article about mm-hmm. her wearing it in a natural way. And yes. they said, what should we say to her? And I'm like, you're asking me yeah. what mm-hmm. you should say to her? Mm-hmm. I'm kindly mm-hmm. going to exit this immediately because a, I don't know what the problem is, and B, even if I did, this is this is an mm-hmm. area that does not apply to me, and I'm out. Yes. So when I read your article, I had those two memories come to my mind, and I was wondering if you could, for people like I was at the time, put a little bit more context, because I remember being completely mind blown that this was uh-huh. something that Black women or Brown women had to suffer with. Yeah, definitely. It's something that a lot of us go through from when we are little kids Mm -hmm. dealing with our natural hair and how it is in this natural state. And then pretty much just being treated differently because of the way our hair is. And also at the workplace, I've noticed that women and I've dealt with it too well not really because I've always been comfortable with wearing my own hair like I have locks so I wear my hair differently I wear color in my hair but I remember being in a laboratory and one of our managers she said they were saying something and setting policies about them not allowing certain colors in your hair and it wasn't just for black women it was just period for you because they didn't feel that it looked professional. So yeah, and you were told multiple times too that you don't look like a scientist. They said that to you. Yeah, I've, I've, yep, yeah, I've always heard that. Like that blows my mind. Yeah, like I've heard that. Just people, random people, saying, "Oh, you are, you're a scientist." Like that shock that you could yeah, hear like what, in their what voice. What do you think people? a scientist looks like, sir yeah. or ma'am? Yes, yeah. Being a black woman scientist in an environment where there's very few black women, just black people, period, you do go through a lot of discrimination, like with your hair or how you dress or whatever. Yeah, just how you should conduct yourself, how you should talk. So I've always felt comfortable with who I am and I've never been 
in a situation where I had somebody make me feel like I wanted to change. But I have seen other women go through what they call imposter syndrome. For a little bit of fun, outside of kind of all of this darkness that's important to not turn away from. So when you were in the lab and working these really like cool drug cases, do you have anything neat that you can pull to share with us? Something that was a unique challenge or a case that stood out? Like obviously don't include anything that could be identifying to anybody, but I'd love to know something neat from your experience. Oh man, I had a lot of very interesting drug cases. I just remember having cases, maybe like kilos of cocaine. Like those are always fascinating cases where Mm -hmm. you have all of these kilos of cocaine and then you have to take your time and take the pictures of the impressions and peel back the layers. I used to like analyzing kilos. Okay, so just to kind of back up, just for our listeners, can you explain, so you worked in the lab, and what did yes. you do in the lab with all the drugs? I, was like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't like cocaine. I just like, I like the smell of it. Like, not totally kidding. But so what exactly, <laughs> sorry, that's a super bad, that's a bad no, dad joke. I think it's funny because it has a very distinct odor. I can. It does. Cocaine, it's yeah, so sweet. It's, it's like, it's that messy smell. You know cocaine when you smell it. You sure do. This is so inappropriate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's everybody like always looks at me sideways when yeah, I like, say well, that. Yes. You know, when I went into a meth house, you know, you walk up and just the smell permeates. You don't even have yep. to get to the front door and you can say, yeah, that's a meth house. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And actually, I have sinus issues that have worsened from me working in forensics and the drug no lab for so long. Yeah. Wow. It really bothered my sinuses a lot. Okay. So in the lab, tell our listeners exactly what you did. Okay, so what I did was illegal drugs that are seized because somebody is either selling these drugs or they are in possession of these drugs and they're not supposed to be in possession or selling these drugs because it's illegal. There are different drug laws that regulate these things. Those drugs then get transported to the forensic chemistry laboratory by a police officer or a detective. And then those drugs are then received into custody by the chemist. And we take those drugs and then we have to analyze the drugs for the presence of a controlled substance, the presence or an absence of a controlled substance. So a controlled substance is any drug schedule one through five. And a lot of your illegal drugs have schedule one and two, depending on what you're analyzing. We also analyzed prescription drugs. And so we had to do wet chemical analysis. We had to inventory the drugs. We have to do instrumental analysis. And then we would have to determine what that substance is and then write a report. And then we would be called to court to testify as needed on that case. So all you did all day was analyze drug cases. Okay. So actually, first, I just want to know how many times you testified in court? I testify a lot of times, probably testify at least 20 times. Nice. Oh, that's Maybe. awesome. That's super rad. And then when you're testing these drugs, so how exactly are you testing them? Are you breaking them down? Are you microscopically? Like, what exactly are you are you doing? Right. So, for example, we would do presumptive color tests. So a presumptive color test would give us an idea of what that drug is. So, for example, if we were testing, cocaine has a specific color test that we would use for cocaine to identify cocaine presumptively and then we would do our confirmatory test so we would do something 
on an instrument, a GCMS. So it could yes. be a GCMS. We also used FTIR when we needed to. Nice. And these were more conclusive tests that we would do. So we would always start with the presumptive test and then follow it up with a confirmatory test. You cannot confirm any drug with a presumptive test. That's not a confirmatory yes. test. So we always had to do a confirmatory test. And we also did microscopic examinations. So for example, if we had marijuana, we always had to look under the microscope at marijuana to identify any cystolithic trichomes. So for the marijuana. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, then we, and then we also had to do microcrystalline tests on certain drugs as well too. So there are drugs that form crystals, very beautiful crystals. Oh, yeah. I Yes, I do remember that. And GCMS, the gas chromatography, yes. mass spectrometry. Exactly. Spectrometry. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, talk science to me. So like tongue tying. <laughs> I love it. Bring it back. And then FTR is the Fourier transfer. It's the infrared spectrometry. Got it. Spectroscopy. Okay. So for those of us who want to know the tie-in for why we're all BFFs here is that CSIs only do the color test that she's discussing. We are yes. not responsible for anything that had more than two syllables that she just said. I should have said color <laughs> test. I'm sorry. No, a no, color no, it's okay. Color test is the same, more lame in terms of presumptive, but I meant to say color test. We call it presumptive test as well because yes. we have to do it for semen, we have to do it for blood, and we have to do it for mm -hmm. drugs completely. And she's exactly right. So, for us, when we collect evidence, a lot of times they'll use that presumptive test for PC or probable cause for mm -hmm. the initial arrest. You can't get a conviction on a presumptive test because that's stupid, but exactly. it <laughs> is enough to get you, let's just call it in the door to the jail. And then a badass like Antoinette comes around and is like, yep. That was meth. Stop yes. touching that. And then that's how we yes, get to the end sure. of the story. Yes. Exactly right. So that's how we are all. And then Shelly makes sure, or Shelly and somebody in Shelly's profession makes sure that person with all those drugs had their constitutional rights followed. Oh, yes. And that there was integrity from crime scene collection all yep. the way to Antoinette's analysis and so forth. So all yeah. three of us are branches on the criminal justice tree. Yes. And it's flowering. <laughs> yes. We're all connected. <laughs> yes. Okay. So then we were talking about schedules. So the schedules for drugs. The schedule. We've discussed it. It's weird because marijuana is like the worst or something on the schedule. Marijuana is schedule one. It's with LSD. Yeah. Yes. And heroin. <laughs> yes. So heroin as well. It's legal in so many different states now, but right, it's yeah. still considered a Schedule it's 1. It's still federally illegal. Yeah. Federally, yes. the government, it trumps it all. It's federally, yeah. it's still a Schedule 1. Although yep. they had, they passed a hemp bill a few years ago with the way that marijuana is analyzed when it's brought into the laboratory is analyzed differently now, but it's still a Schedule 1 until they decide to change yeah. that law. Yeah, I remember when they legalized it, we all got an email that's like, don't think. Don't think that, that you can be getting a marijuana yeah. <laughs> The party no, no, is no. not starting over here. We all yeah. got the same email, too. Yeah, and I'm we like, got that email, too. Yeah, It's yeah, so funny how things have changed because uh, one of my friends was, his dad was a police officer for years, and he remembers a policy you were only allowed to have two alcoholic beverages during your lunch break. <laughs> that was the policy. So it's funny how things have changed to where oh, no, only two. 
Right. <laughs> well, and then there's, you know, there's uh, UC, so the undercovers, mm-hmm. the undercover detectives. So they go yeah. out and they hang out. They're trying to catch, you know, they do all the bad guy stuff. So they're trying to catch bad guys. And I have a really close friend that a total shout out. He'll know exactly who I'm talking about. But he was actually just telling a story tonight about how, you know, they used to go out to the bars and they would drink yeah. because you have to fit in. Yeah, I I know. And those. it's like, yep. how is that? They all look like dirt bags. Yeah, I loved that they unit. Definitely, still do that. Yeah. No, they that unit one time, which I'm not going to distinguish which PD. Yeah, they were following a drug mule with some women, yeah. mm-hmm. of course, yeah. mm-hmm. and it led to a massage parlor, and they all went into the massage parlor to like whatever, and then they ended up getting they ended up getting happy endings. Yeah. Oh no! Yeah, and they didn't know no. it was coming. <laughs> the massage- Listen, if you're up to one, if you're up to one seedy thing, you're probably up to more than one seedy thing. So they were like in right. there to pretend to buy these drugs, and I yeah. guess the happy ending was like, "Thanks for your purchase." It's oh, like a gift yeah. with purchase. Yeah. <laughs> see, that's the thing with like what you see on television versus these type of things really happening in Mm -hmm. law enforcement when it comes to undercover officers. I definitely know people and know stories, what they had to do to catch people being undercover. Yeah, I imagine the region is all like a total shift for that because like where I am in South Florida, we have such a melting pot of everyone. I know. But like, we have so many different ancestral and cultural groups for the officers to integrate themselves with that, especially at one of my PDs, it would be so interesting when they would come back with all these different stories because we had um, like the Palos down here. Like if you know anything about Palo Mayambe and like- I don't know there. So you know, like everybody thinks Santeria is evil. Okay. Yeah. It ain't. Oh, I mean, now the Palos are going to come for me, but whatever. They already probably the Palos are um, (laughs) they're the actual like so both religions are rooted when they tried to impose Catholicism Mm -hmm. on different religious groups down in South America. And it didn't quite work out so well, but essentially there's a lot of practices in Palo Mayambe to where it's not optional to use a human sacrifice if you want Mm. the job to get done. Uh And uh that ends up being problematic because it's also an element of the practice that the way that you would have obtained the power from the ritual has to be homicide. Okay. Must be. Yeah, sort of like when you hear about certain gangs where some of them, they get, they have to uh, murder somebody or jump get jumped in or take somebody's life or something of like course. sacrifice somebody. Or blue mm-hmm. blue they used to call uh-huh. it blue brother so there's a really interesting training class that tritech forensics puts on if you like find this like intriguing antoinette it's called ritualistic and occult crime scenes and it is oh, wow. fascinating wow okay. fascinating so if you're into training that's very interesting and because there's two instructors with tritech here we might be able to hook you up with something i don't teach the class i don't teach you oh. you know yeah yeah shelly teaches I, courtroom testimony I te- yeah i teach yeah, yeah I oh, teach you courtroom teach testimony. courtroom testimony have yes. you taken that class though so when i took the class it wasn't with shelly it was with another woman named hillary moses who did a great I job i love hillary oh, okay shout out to hillary <laughs> Hillary is amazing. Okay. She is the, one of the best latent print examiners like She's ever. fantastic. Oh, wow. Okay. 
She's phenomenal. She taught me. But to be honest, I took the class because I love Hillary. You know how. All right. So I blame this on musical theater in high school. (laughs) I have never had one nerve testifying. Right. I love your confidence. It's not cocky. It's confidence. It's absolute confidence. I love it. I always get uh, nervous before testifying. Well, you are still. I mean, I haven't testified in years, but when I was working there, I would get nervous. But once I would get on the stand, I would feel like more calmer. But of course, you get those nerves getting worked up. One of the things that I always tell all my students is I say, you know what? No matter what you do, you always have to BS your audience. And the BS Uh isn't the typical BS. It actually means breathe and smile. Because when you breathe and you smile, you reset everything. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. So many people come back after the class. They're like, I actually did that. Like I breathe and I smile and and you wouldn't believe like I was super calm. And I went, there you go. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because that's simple. what makes you really more nervous is when you forget to breathe. When you feel like Yoga you're holding teacher. your breath and you're getting a little lightheaded because I've had that happen yeah. to me before. Not during the testimony part, but for something else. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. My heart was pounding. I can hear it in my head and felt like I was going to pass out. Another note that I think is applicable since we're speaking to all women, but also to people that have ever been made to feel like they weren't good enough with imposter Uh syndrome. Did you know that your subconscious doesn't know when you're kidding? What I mean by that is that people all the time say things like, oh, I'm being stupid or, oh, I'm such a putz or, oh, I'm not this or like they always say these things and they might be kidding. Or they might be trying to make fun of themselves or make light. Uh, But the truth is your subconscious doesn't understand that. And words have power. So you might be sitting there trying to make light of a situation and like stir there's a certain amount of humor that's healthy. Like if you make a mistake, but you should never really say like, I'm stupid or I'm such this or I'm such that. So like when I go to testify, I do a lot of power statements to myself, whether it be internally that. or externally. Yeah, yeah. Like Saturday Night Live. I, I totally teach the... And the body language. Stuart Smalley. For literally everybody out there, don't say bad things about yourself because even if you're kidding, there's something in your brain that's going to register it as true and you don't want to... Like, there's enough people probably talking shit about you if you're doing a good job because Taylor Uh Swift says people like to throw rocks at things that shine. Yes, yes. But I always tell people, remember your Stuart Small, your daily affirmations, the I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And if you do that and you breathe and you smile, it's instant confidence. And it's not cocky, it's just confidence. Because when you get up on the stand, you're a scientist. So you have to have that confidence. I love affirmations, though. Yes. Yes, daily affirmations are great. One of my friends gave me a book and it's a daily affirmations. And every morning Aww. I read just one little blurb from the daily affirmations and it's, it's amazing. So yeah, to- super shout outs tonight. So shout yeah. out to Miss. Yeah. Well, what affirmations do you do, Antoinette? Uh, affirmations, I would say I'm just a writer mostly. I like Good. writing where I see myself in oh, vision board? a year. Oh, yeah, oh, like a vision board in my book every day. But I actually write it as I want to see myself like I am... This, I am that. I actually also read that in a book that when you are writing down these affirmations, you write it like you already have it, like yeah. you're already in possession of it and to write it every day. I haven't been writing it every day, but they suggest to write it in the morning and before you go to bed. I love so, that. That's yes. insane because, you know, this is all about women in science and history month. And 
my adopted mom, my mamacita, she is amazing. And she actually tells me all the time. She says, you know what? Put positive energy out in the universe. If you want something, you it's positive. Don't ever say anything negative because you put negativity out in the universe then negativity is going to happen. Oh, I, I definitely agree. do that. I definitely yes. am bad about talking shit if I don't like something. I'll admit it, though. Mm-hmm. Listen, I am like, I always say I am not a Gemini, but I am so yoga and so like cynical sometimes that I have to like. You're just transparent. I ha- I lack tact. No. Uh, <laughs> no. I don't fun. think I always have either. <laughs> but I like that, though. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. You're just comfortable in your yeah. own skin. Like you don't try to well, change I Too try to be humble friend. about things I don't know. But when I know, you know, I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'm the same. Right. It's like when I know or when I think I know, then yeah, I know. And if you prove me yeah. wrong, then, you know, by all means, I will be humble and say, I am so sorry. I thought I knew and I didn't know. But now I know and I feel even more empowered. That's sure. good. Yes. Yep. yep. I agree. So tell me about your women's coaching program since we're Mm -hmm. kind of on this track anyways. I realize that even though I've been following you for a while and I've seen all of your beautiful postings about the things that you host. So can you tell me like more Mm -hmm. about what's in it and what it does? So the Women in Forensics Coaching Program is a mentorship program for recent graduates from forensic science and STEM programs, as well as current college students with that major and just pretty much for anybody who wants to go into the forensics field, but they need help. Okay. I mean, so many people, they need help with preparing for a job in forensics. They need help with Yay. their resume. They need help with their CV. They need help with interviewing. They also need help with like just how to network and where to find all these different resources that we know where these resources are because we work in the forensics community. So I decided to make the coaching program virtual because I can have more of a reach all across the world to people who want to be a part of the program. And what I also did was I invited other women in forensics to be coaches for the program. That's really So we're nice. not doing any, showing them any demonstrations or any hands-on yeah. activities. Yeah. They can come to Club Philly Forensics for that. They're a teenager or if I have an in-person workshop. This is strictly just us talking about certain topics that I know that they are struggling with, but mm-hmm. they get to talk with us one-on-one. I don't know where else you can meet a forensic scientist where they can constantly yeah. pour into you because even if you're going to conferences that's once a year or you yeah. have to listen to a podcast, but this is like you always have access to us by coming to the coaching program. So that's, that's amazing. what it is. Thank How, you. Have you had people like what countries have you had people reach out from? So far, I would say Canada? Africa is a continent. So oh. people different countries in Africa have people like India. A lot of people from India reach out yeah. a lot. People from different parts of the country but also more people coming from different parts of the country when they come into the support group as well. So, yeah. so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to send some of my crime scene students to you then. Um, Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Well, I get a lot of email because right, in my area, so I was really lucky and I was blessed with really unusual access to internship. Half of that fell in my lap, completely serendipitous. And half of it I had to work really hard for. But I've noticed for my students that a lot of those opportunities are gone. 
both of the PDs I worked for eliminated the internship program. And Hmm. like, I know our local medical examiner's office down here got rid of the internship program. So like, I don't even know where to send my students anymore. So when they come to me asking me for advice on jobs, my advice at this point is do something to make your application stand out, whether or not it's Mm -hmm. joining something like what you're doing or the IAI the International Association for Identification or American Academy of Forensic Sciences. Join these things, take their free trainings, fluff up your resume or your CV, and don't think you can get hired where you live right now and apply everywhere. So that's the advice that I've been giving them, but I'd love to be sending these women to a more structured coaching program. So I'm happy to be like including that with anybody that does outreach after because I sometimes feel lost on how to help. Yeah, we definitely point them in. So a lot of the women, again, because this is my first year starting it because it used to be like a speaker series and then I decided to make it into an actual coaching program. They come from different fields. So they're already working in the field. They -hmm. have connections. And that's another Mm -hmm. thing I tell people, like you have to put yourself out there. You have to get connected to people. Yeah. Like your degrees are not going to get you into rooms. No, but they're not. Yeah. Your connections can. So that's another thing. Like it's that whole, you know, and I was raised the same way too, to think, okay, if I go to college and graduate and then I get this job and I just do what I'm supposed to do, then I'm going to miraculously get all of these connections and it doesn't work that way. So yeah. I teach them like they have to network. They have to stop being shy. And they have to be more assertive and go into somebody's DMs if you have to. Send multiple I slid emails into yours. if you have to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I did. Yes. I'm like, hey. Yes. <laughs> I slid into yours. I slid into Kelly the Scientist. Kelly Knight. I love her. Yes. yes and then me I met too, her. Yes. Last week at the AF show. Oh, at the AAFS. Yes, I mm-hmm. saw that she was there. Yeah, so I tend to do the DM sliding. <laughs> Me too. I do it a lot. And I've met a lot of people. I've been able to get guests on my shows from, Mm -hmm. I mean, from like my speaker series, from me going into my LinkedIn women in forensics, asking them questions in their DMs. So yeah, we teach them how to like just get the confidence. I see, I also noticed that some women, they lack confidence, especially not just young women, but older women too around. Yeah. I mean I'm oh yeah. yeah yeah in my 40s so they lack confidence I tell everyone I say you know as a forensic scientist or as you know even someone that's in forensic school you have more knowledge than the average person does and I speak to them as if I'm talking to them about a jury so jurors it's supposed to be of peers well forensic scientists have one up on them that's why they're experts and because you're in school or you've been through the school, you know more than everyone else does. They're like, yeah, but everyone watches the TV show, so they think they know everything. I said, yeah, they think, and they think, and that's a thing. And like, oh, I guess for some people it just, it clicks with them and it makes them feel a little bit more confident. And I say you either are in school to have a degree or you have the degree or the certificate, whatever you're going for, and that sets you apart. It sets you one step ahead. So be confident in that. And look at what you're doing. And look at what you're accomplishing. I know that chemistry is not my thing. You know, the law is more my thing than chemistry. And <laughs> chemistry is hard. It was so hard yeah. that I didn't want to go back to get a master's yeah. in chemistry. Yeah. One of my best friends, Haley, she, thank 
gosh, she was there for me because I could not have passed chemistry without her just dumbing it down for me. And I, so I tell all the students, I say, you understood this stuff and you're putting a forensic spin on all this stuff and you get it. There you go. That's your confidence. Yeah. And just those little things, it just helps them with their confidence level. Yes. So how are you coaching? Like Shelly's got a really great motivational thing that she's offering to these students of hers and courtroom testimony. But I'm wondering when you get like these meek I don't want to use that word because it sounds like I'm saying something mean, but soft-spoken. Well, or they're just not used to standing their ground or maybe like, you know, their fight or flight responses are to fawn or flight instead of fight. Like, yeah, yes. Mine have always been to fight, but I don't know why. That's me too. Yeah, me (laughs) too. I've always fought. (laughs) That hasn't always served me well, but I'm wondering when you have these people that aren't as naturally inclined as us, like how you speak to them. That's a very good question. That's a very good question because, like you said, I always had to fight to be in a position that people wanted to, like, keep me out of. I just have that grit, and I'm from Philly, too, so that it's (laughs) just my personality. It's just like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to let you stop me from doing it. I'm going to advocate for myself. I'm going to speak up for myself. I'm not going to let you make me feel like I'm (laughs) less than then than anything when I meet those women who are like you say and I say the word meek or they feel just intimidated it comes back to their confidence but I have to start with do they need help with like what is keeping them from feeling like they can't accomplish these things yeah Mm -hmm. and a lot of it comes from them not feeling comfortable in these spaces where you are around these more like aggressive people or hostile people mm-hmm. or people yeah. who are not friendly or these people who are just going to be so kind to you. And then they just get intimidated. So I work on just work on them with building their confidence and making them feel more comfortable and making them feel like they belong where they are, or where they want to be, because that's the main thing with them is yeah. them not wanting to address that to get to the next level of life like to get to where they want to be or maybe they want that job or they're just so quick to just give up because someone told them no or the rejection part too yeah a lot of people can't deal with rejection one of the things that I do in class is find the soft-spoken people and I feel that they might be intimidated as I say you know what do you what do you do in your spare time what's your hobby Mm -hmm. one of the ladies she was so incredibly sweet and she says you know I love to cook and I said okay do you love to cook or bake are you like you know savory or sweet what's your thing and she's like baking is chemistry exactly (laughs) And, and she loved to make jelly and I was like okay do people like your jelly and she's like oh yes they love it and they want me to start selling it I said how does it make you feel she's like it makes me feel good because I can do something for someone else I said okay But wait a second, let's take a step back. You're damn good at making that jelly. She's like, I mean, I guess. I said, no, no, no. If they want you to sell it, do they ask everyone to sell it? No, they don't. So you are damn good at what you do. So take pride in that and feed off of that because you are in this class and you are in this profession because you Mm -hmm. are damn good at what you do. So take pride in that and make a name for yourself and say, you know what? I am. And I went to that crime scene and I processed it and I did everything that I was supposed to do or I did whatever I was supposed to do in the lab and I followed SOPs, P's and P's, whatever it may be and find that confidence. And then all of a sudden 
they're like laughing and joking and they're now a, a different person almost, you know, they're, they're uh-huh. not a different person, but it's just coming out and it's, it's amazing. And to find that confidence, I would love to just yeah. virtually sit in one of your classes. Class. Of course. And yeah. Just to hear Y'all how you. should come to the support group. The support oh group my gosh. will be yeah. open I, to I, the I would love to. I would love, I would to, love have, to have uh, Crime Scene Queens we'll be like a sponsor for the Heck support yeah. group. Yeah, we have that to talk so about fun. this. Yeah, oh, I'm like, this awesome. is, like, I feed off of your energy. Like, we just met, but I feed thank off you. your energy. Same. Y'all have very good energy. Oh, thank, yeah. But, like, <laughs> your energy is so inspiring. I'm just, Thank you so like, much. I'm, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Your CV you. is <laughs> off the charts. Oh, I get told, I know. you know. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's like, you know, we we get told all the time, you know, yeah, our CVs are great. But, like, seriously, like, your CV is just off the charts. It's very impressive. No, I love it. Thank you so much. I love it. That's what makes you even more like more special. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Because I feel like also too, like I was going to mention with helping people who are dealing with yep. confidence issues is their mindset. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, when you are doing the type of work that we're doing, I do a lot of work on my mental, like your mind has to be yep. right. You have to get your mind right before you could do anything. So it's their mindset. Like if they don't change their mindset, then nothing else will change. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's a TED Talk that I'll DM you later, Antoinette, that was sent mm-hmm. to me when I was having a moment of self-doubt or imposter syndrome. And it's about 15 minutes, and it's by a woman named Amy Cuddy. And it was... I'm trying to, I don't remember the whole story, but basically she had graduated from Ivy League and then at some point was invited back to teach at Harvard. And she was like, I don't belong here. I don't belong Uh here. Why am I here? Why would I be allowed to teach at Harvard University? And somewhere along the line, she thought, I'm just going to fake it until somebody notices I don't belong here. And at some point, she not only belonged there, but was And didn't even notice Uh when it happened that she stopped faking it. So then at some point there was a a young woman in her class that was really struggling. And at some point she came to her weeping and she's, I don't belong here. It was a mistake that they let me in. And she ended up saying to her, don't fake it until you make it here. Fake it until you are it. And it's like such a good TED talk. So if you guys out there, listeners are having moments of self-doubt, I highly recommend you Google Amy Cuddy's TED talk on faking it until you make it. It was awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely going to watch that. I love her TED talk on body language oh yeah uh-huh. i think that's yeah the power poses yeah. yes the power poses yes she's so phenomenal with her like arms up and she's it's just welcoming and she's so powerful and strong I oh god i had her. to learn yeah. my power poses were like this and like <laughs> some gang signs in your power poses. no they were not gang signs i'm not that cool <laughs> i was just like power pose yeah i have to look i was just, like i remember one time i stepped into a captain because I stepped in because he said some shit. I'll tell you later. (laughs) Super fun. But either way, I didn't get fired. But it was a bad idea. So I totally want to ask you real quick. What was your most, because like our listeners, they definitely want to hear like stories, obviously about forensic stuff. So tell me like either what was your most memorable, your most horrific, your most amazing when you were in the lab. Talk about like one of those cases. And obviously no names, no whatever. Let's see. I have so many cases. Or your first. Oh, yeah. Or your first, uh, te- like, yeah, like your first, like, really big win or something like that. Like, I feel like we all have, like, one that stands out in like, a different bucket. 
if I would have known now or back then what I know now, oh boy. I wouldn't say this would be like case related. So every year we have to take proficiency tests so that Mm -hmm. we can stay qualified to do casework. So being able to get through a proficiency test and pass it, that's such a relief because it's like, okay, I'm done with that. Yeah, because I I would say the proficiency tests were more challenging than the case of <laughs> yeah that we would have to analyze. Yes, getting through the proficiency test. Also, I was a training coordinator for a mm-hmm. few years, and I had I had like difficult trainees. Probably a couple. I had a couple of difficult trainees. So personality wise, personality wise, like. They wasn't really grasping certain concepts that okay. they needed to get to the next module or to pass their probation. Yeah. And I was caught in the middle because I had to report everything to the supervisor, what the status of their performance was. And then when you are in that position and you have to write the memos and different things, like they may not like what is in yes. there. So being caught yeah. in between that. So I've had that as a challenge, but it was good, though. I had a lot of good moments with training and I had those were challenging moments. But case wise, I would say just analyzing heroin. I never liked I didn't like analyzing heroin at all. No, those were like my least favorites. Okay, so tell our audience where they can find you because they need to know like all the places. So they can find me for sure. You can find me at Women in Forensics with an S on Instagram. Without a S, Women in Forensic on Twitter and okay. Women in Forensic on Facebook. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Okay. I have a private LinkedIn group called Women okay. in Forensics. Awesome. Yeah. And then there's the website too. Is It's like the acronym, isn't it? Yes. It's awifs.org, Association Women in Forensic Science.org. Oh, you are phenomenal. I like, feel like Absolutely we could, yeah, Thank you so we could much. keep going. I appreciate you guys. We, could, we definitely could. I know if we ever like circle back to something drug based again, we'll have to like guest star you. Okay. Yes. It'll be so much fun. Or just because we feel like chatting again. I mean, why not? (laughs) We are at Crime Scene Queens on the talking of tick and the booking of face and And the gramming of Insta. (laughs) And the gramming of Insta. Sorry, I wasn't consistent with my ridiculousness. Y'all are fun. Y'all are really fun. (laughs) People let us talk. This was fun. This was a very, very fun. <laughs> hey, listen, we loved having you. Thank you so much for your time. And to our audience, I want everybody to remember, if you're going to go out there and commit a crime, do your local crime scene unit a favor and leave lots of evidence. But bye-bye for now. <laughs> yes. Bye, everybody. Crime Scene Queens is a Q Code Media production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse. Edited by Will Tendy. Theme song and music by Darren Johnson.